Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. It's uh, actually a beautiful day here in Massachusetts for a change. The snow is gone. Um, another fun week of interacting with so many people around the world. Um, I've done my best, I think, to respond to everybody. I appreciate all of the positive feedback and the comments and the suggestions. And um, I'll give you my contact information uh at the end of this episode so as you know as julie kind of pops in and out depending you know if i'm saying something and she wants to jump in so that's how we kind of do this program organically and um we're going to revisit a topic that uh seems to be one of the most popular ones uh borderline personality disorder but i'm going to talk about it from the perspective of anger and how it uh, also touch on a lot of people want to know what it's like growing up uh, or having a parent that has a personality disorder. And I think you can even extrapolate that to uh, a parent or a loved one with a mental health condition, uh, substance abuse. So I'm going to try and intertwine uh, several things in, in this podcast. So anger uh, in borderline pathology can be mild to extremely volatile. And you have to remember that with borderline pathology, it's, it's a fragmented sense of self. And the entire lifestyle of an individual with borderline pathology is psychological survival. And I think if you just go back to the basic fight or flight mode, that's how individuals with borderline live. It's constant fight or flight. Um, and when needs get unmet, that anger can be destructive. It can be destructive towards another individual. Uh, it can be destructive inward through self-injurious behaviors. Uh, I mentioned this probably in one of the episodes on borderline personality. The research has shown there's three reasons why people will engage in self-injurious behaviors, cutting, burning, banging their heads, punching walls, one is if you think of how you get rid of a headache, you drop a hammer on your foot. You transfer the emotional pain that is seemingly unbearable to a physical pain that can be um, more tolerable. So if you if you drop the hammer on your foot, you forget about the pain in your you forget about <clears throat> the pain in your head, and you focus on the pain in your foot. A second reason is a form of self punishment. I deserve to be hurt. Uh, a third reason is I feel so numb, I want to feel something, and I need some type of release. So that anger can really be directed inward, but in, in the interpersonal interpersonal dynamics of borderline pathology in relationship with other people, again, it's a relational disorder, the, the anger can be incredibly volatile where individuals are threatening to, they're threatening to kill someone. They're threatening to kill themselves. Um, they can be, you know, you're turning it into, into substance abuse, uh, whether that's with an intent to die or just an overdose uh, for, for attention. But the anger in borderline pathology is incredibly volatile. And in treating and working with families, whether it's your parent, whether it's a sibling, a loved one, a colleague, whatever, you have to be able to set boundaries. The you, there may you know clinically you can understand where the anger is coming from, but on a day to day practical basis, no one should have to be subject to that level of toxicity that the pathology rears its ugly head, and you know safety is is a huge concern. And I always 
always err on the side of caution if I have concern about somebody being um, with or without borderline pathology, if, if I have concern about being uh, a risk to themselves, risk to other people, I would always err on the side of caution of of you know, calling 911, having them sectioned and having them, you know, hospitalized to maintain the safety of, of themselves and, and other people in their life. But the anger comes from the emptiness. The anger comes from the, 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 the void that, that these individuals feel because they don't know what they need half the time. They, they, they need that acceptance. They need that validation. They need that, 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 that connectedness. But, you know, I've referred to them as the mercurial styles. They're, they're dysregulated thermometers. And sometimes you don't even know what's going to set them up, set, set them off. And a lot of times if you're doing therapy, many times they can acknowledge that, that, that their anger can be volatile and explosive. And it, it, in, a lot of times people don't always know what what sets them off but it's generally when there's a the, the fear factor gets evoked that fear of real or imagined abandonment or or that that fear that or or, or frustration that you are not meeting their needs but no one is, we are not responsible independent of psychopathology we are not responsible to make other people happy that is not a responsibility that we have, but with borderline pathology, they operate from the from the premise that you are their salvation, and that everything kind of falls on your shoulders. So, um, again, the the volatility I, I I've seen it again from the from from you know zero to hundred. And uh, a lot of people I've talked to over this past week and emailed and texted even prior, it's like, what do I do? How do I get my, I, I kind of realized after listening to your podcast and doing some research that, you know, my mom and or dad, they have a personality disorder. I've said it before, you, you can't want it more than they do. You can't force them to acknowledge something that they're not ready to confront you know, we can't make anybody go into psychotherapy. We can't make anybody take medications. If you can go the legal route with like a Rogers Act and, you know, actually have the court require somebody to take, take medication, but that, that, that that's a, a, a difficult process. But I think, you know, you can recognize, uh, just like you can recognize, uh, you know, someone's depressed or someone's anxious. You can't make them go into therapy. You can't make them go see a psychiatric prescriber. You can encourage them. You could educate them. You could try and have some family interventions. But, you know, mental health, I think for a lot of people, and a huge reason of doing this podcast is to destigmatize it because I think people equate mental health with there's something wrong with me. And to a certain degree, I, I, I get that. And I, I think that's, that's a valid argument. But again, if you have high blood pressure, go to, go to a cardiologist and get on a beta blocker, or calcium channel blocker, uh, a medication. I mean, it, so it, it, it seems like there's this, this disparity between how people will confront their, their medical conditions, but they're not w w willing to confront their psychiatric conditions. And you see this a lot with the personality disorders. There's a lot of deflection. There's a lot of rationalization. There's a lot of pro uh, projection. I'll, you know, go back to the episode I did on the cognitive distortions. I mean, they, I mean, these they're they're using them. This that's just how they navigate the world because there there's such a fear of of actually wanting to take an honest look at themselves, and that's where that anger can rear its very ugly and sometimes very dangerous head. Um, 
because of the extreme volatility associated with it. So if you have parents uh, or you are you are children of, of parents with, uh, say, we'll just stick with the topic of, uh, of personality disorders, say borderline narcissism, sometimes we have to love people from a distance, independent of what the relationship they have to us, whether that is a child, whether that is a parent, whether that is a sibling, because it's easy to get sucked into the vortex of the psychopathology. And as 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 caring people, assuming that we are caring people, uh, we we see the pain, we see the emotional dysregulation. We we know that there's resources, we know that there's neuropsychiatrists, we know that there's therapists, we know that there's prescribers. But again, you can't want it more than they do. And I, I brought this up in the episode last week about change. Sometimes people really have to hit rock bottom. They really do, and it, 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 it's destructive, it's painful, acknowledge the pain. And I think, you know, Julie and I have said this, if you are in a relationship with somebody, whether independent, parent, child, family, whatever, get yourself into therapy because you need the emotional support. Because if you're dealing especially with borderline pathology, it's so easy to get sucked in. And you, I've seen work with so many people who have almost – the 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 second guessing and 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 the the, the self blame and accepting so much responsibility that they of what they perceived they did or didn't do um, because the individual's borderline personality externalizes extensively. You did this. You did this. You don't do that. You didn't do that. It's your fault that I'm sad. It's your fault that I'm depressed. It's your fault. No, it's not. No, stop stop the pity party. It's they have to be able to own what they're doing and you know working with with, with individuals and having them kind of like step back and say let's take a look at these behavioral patterns, these thought patterns and something I've always say to every patient I work with if you ask them what's the one thing I always say is pay attention to your motivation. Why are you sending these nasty text messages? Why are you threatening to break up with the person? Why are you threatening divorce? Why are, again, why are you why are you using this volatility? When and the irony is the volatility is actually pushing the other person in relationship with them further away. And they you try to help them understand that you, you, their behavior is actually having a paradoxical effect. It's it, it's pushing the other person further away, unless you have somebody with you know that's very dependent, or you know I think if you just take people in general that that if 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 you're a parent you know easier said than done. How do you just turn your back on your child? But sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to, and that's actually you know sometimes. I would consider maybe a a form of a therapeutic approach is to take that step back because until someone's uncomfortable, they're not going to change. And we can't rescue people. We can't make people get into treatment as, as, as frustrating as it might be. But, you know, especially if you take like an older population and, you know, given that personality is crystallized between five and eight years of age and you, you, you have a parent with this ingrained belief system, the likelihood of them getting into therapy, I don't think is incredibly high. Maybe with a family intervention, Maybe starting with family therapy as an approach, and hopefully the clinician is good enough to see that, okay, you're coming in as a family, but 
I kind of see that the you know this this is mom's issue, and we need to kind of work on getting mom into her individual treatment. That is one possibility of of getting somebody who does not acknowledge it. Because if you're going as a family, they're not what's what we call the identified patient. It's the family unit. And hopefully from that perspective, you can kind of segue and pull that person into individual psychotherapy. So the, you know, the anger, um, you know, I think sometimes uh, looking at medication to kind of be mood stabilizers to try to level things out. But you have to realize the anger comes from the intense fear. It comes from the perception that their needs are not being met and they're putting an inordinate amount of responsibility and accountability on the individuals who are in relationship with them as being the, 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 the answer to all of their problems. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. That basically exempts them and gives them a free pass to say, I can do whatever I want. Not, not that, that's such an irrational belief, but that's that's how this this specific pathology manifests itself. And you know, I've worked with cases where where it gets very scary. People holding knives to their their husbands' necks, uh, threatening suicide. You know, running running down the street naked, screaming. Um, you know, because the, the emotional dysregulation is so, so profound. But again, from a cognitive behavioral perspective, I'm focusing more on the behaviors and the thought patterns, even though the emotional dysregulation is there. But it's important, you know, really understanding where it comes from. And it's pretty universal in borderline pathology that it stems from that, that perception that, Someone is going to leave them, someone is going to hurt them, and they operate from the premise that I will hurt you before you hurt me. And the, the relationships with borderline pathology are, are incredibly difficult. And, you know, sometimes you have to, if, if they're going off on the rails with you on the phone, everybody has a little magic button. It's called end. Hit the button. If they're sending nasty text messages, stop responding. There may be times you need to block their phone calls because you are that you are actually creating then discomfort because you know take a take a screaming child who's 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 just a, a behavioral problem and say they're they're in in the classroom and they're just they're just screaming because they're screaming for attention. Well, if everybody leaves the classroom and they're there by themselves, they're not going to continue to scream anymore. Because the behavior no longer serves a purpose because there's, there's nothing to reinforce it. So a lot of times I think people are, are coming from the perspective of wanting to calm them down. Take a deep breath, honey. Just relax. Everything's going to be okay. Just natural human uh, expressions and ways of, of, of navigating with, with someone. But if you have to really understand this, that what you give is never going to be enough until they start making progress in treatment. And they and they they own the disorder, they own the diagnosis, and they are actively working in in therapy. But you know, you have if you're in relationship, you know, when that volatility starts to rear its head, you know, it may require you leaving the house. It may require you staying in a hotel for a weekend. It may require you, like I said. Stop responding to the texts. Stop engaging in the dialogue. Stop stop having the conversations. End the phone call. Stop. I think what you also want to say too. Is you got to get closer. I just just albeit briefly, I wanted to just uh, touch upon the fact that if you have a 
if you have a a child, obviously, uh, an adolescent, and they're under your care, you have to be careful, like, when you say it's more about changing your reaction to behaviors versus not, you know, you know, creating a lot of distance between you and your child, because obviously, your child needs you. So um, that would be the only thing that I would add to what you're saying. Well, yeah, I think Julie brings up a good point. I'm talking from a general perspective, but you, you know, you can't just leave, you know, your, your 12 year old child. You can't just, you know, I, I guess I was coming more from the perspective of, of the adult, pers- adult manifestation of borderline pathology. But again, even with ch- even with children, if there's no consequences, or, or, or you know, kids with personality disorders, if there's no consequences, why are they going to change? They're not. No one changes without consequences, and the consequences have to be enough to. They have to have what's called valence, and valence is basically value. So if you say, well, if you don't, if you if if you don't stop texting me these these mean messages because you can't go out with your boyfriend tonight, then I'm going to shut the lamp off in the living room. They're like, okay, how motivating is that? Unless they got some bizarre preoccupation or fixation with the lamp. But, you know, the consequences have to have enough value for the individual to create, the, to create discomfort for them to modify their behavior. So... You know, Julie, again, brings up a good point. It's not that easy just to, you know, leave a child to fend for themselves. But I'm, you know, flipping back now to more of the, the, the adult interactions. Um, is, it, is it tough love? I, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure what that term really means. Uh, but I think, it's, I think it's more boundaries. Boundaries for your for the individual, and also boundaries for yourself. Saying that this this behavior, this this level of toxicity, is not acceptable. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tolerate this because if you don't tolerate, if you keep tolerating, why would it change? Why would they stop? They're not. And and again, the thing with the borderline pathology is it ebbs and flows. Then you're gonna have those periods of calm. And you're going to have those periods of peace, and 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 you know, sex is going to be great, and date nights are going to be great, and family gatherings are going to be great. And this is why people have a hard time getting out of borderline relationships because I've used the slot machine example because during those good periods it pays out. So you know, okay, I know we can have great times. I know you can be stable. I know you can be level-headed. But I also know that, that, that the hurricane is going to come and people withstand the hurricane because they know eventually the storm, like all storms, are going to dissipate and will go back to the homeostasis again. So that's why a lot of people uh, that I've worked with over the years have had a really hard time in, 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 in navigating the, the relationship because they, they will invariably say, but I love them. I love him or her, in, independent of what the relationship is, because there are are good times, and, and and there are. I don't really believe there are bad people. I think people do bad things, unhealthy things, um, mean things. But I, you know, at, at the core, borderline is individuals are in incredible amount of pain, and they're grasping for straws. But 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 they they lose sight of the responsibility, and that's where that anger and that volatility and hostility comes in from the fear, the fear, the fear. But are you responsible for that? I think sometimes a lot of people feel that they are, especially as a parent. You can constantly rescue your rescue your child. You know, stop bailing them out of jail every time. 
Stop, stop, stop paying their phone bills. Stop, stop in, enabling the behavior. Because yes, it, it, and, and when you when you stop, that's when you can expect that that volatility. You can expect to be called every name in the book. You can. That's when you're going to get the, the. I'm going to kill you. I want nothing to do with you. I hate you. You're a horrible mom. You're a horrible dad. I want nothing to do with you. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Don't text me. If you set the boundaries, they will eventually at some point come around. Because what you are doing is you're actually using term we kind of call using the pathology and the service of therapy. You're, if you, so if you're cutting them off, you're ending the phone call, yes, are you evoking the abandonment? Absolutely. But it's, it's, it's through doing that, they're going to be uncomfortable enough that they, from, for the most part, I think people with borderline pathology get to that place. Now, we'll, if, 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 you, if you block the person or you stop responding to the text, I can't give you an estimate of how long that silence will last for. It may last for a day. It may last for a year. Because they will blame you. They will blame you because you did not give them their, fulfill their needs. You did not rescue them. You did not save them. But that is not your responsibility. It is their responsibility to get into therapy and to do the work. And I've said this, and I will continue to say this, that this is a disorder that is not only treatable, it is curable, but it takes time. And does it take a lot of effort on in other individuals in, in relationship with them? Uh, yeah, it does. And it's going to take, take a toll on you. People in relationship will they, very often are, are developing depression, are developing anxiety, are, are living on edge because you'd never know what version of the self, meaning the person with borderline pathology, is what version are you going to see the next time you see them or talk to them? So it's it it it's such a, a volatile anger that, that that resonates with borderline personality, but it's very clear where it comes from. This is not sociopathy where there's a, where there's a, a a sincere desire or an intent to hurt, but hurting people want to hurt other people, and these individuals feel incredibly misunderstood. And they're really not able, I think they, they, they're not really able to c communicate and really, without being in treatment, don't have a lot of insight as to that is coming from the abandonment. It's coming from the perception that, that a, a family member, a husband, a wife, a spouse, uh, a friend is not meeting their needs. But, you know, you can't be everything for everyone. But you have to be able to really set boundaries. And when that toxicity and that volatility and anger rears its head, that's when you really need to disengage. And I, I've seen it so many times that people will just text back and forth. One means they're going to say something mean, and oh, oh, honey, please stop. And they text, "I hate you. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Everything's going to be okay." Once once you people get to that level of emotional dysregulation and even cognitive dysregulation, because if you look at the thought patterns, there's they're they're not really thinking things things through. They're just reacting. It's a very reactive disorder. And it's a reaction to all these perceived levels of abandonment, these perceived levels of, of um, what's the word, of, of, of disappointment. 
um, of, of frustration and, and they're, they're placing so much blame and responsibility on everybody else for their happiness. But I, I, I wanted to bring this up because this is a common thing that I've talked to so many people about. It's like, what do I do when my, 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 my girlfriend does this or my fiance does this or, or my, my mom does this? Draw the line in the sand and say, no, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not. You don't have a right to talk to me like that. You don't have a right to to you know expect me to bail you out of every situation. I mean, I'm not saying you turning your back on them. I mean, I, I guess I think in some cases it does get to that point, but I think it's it's you know I I I think I'm coming at this episode more from a perspective of people who are in relationship with individuals with borderline pathology. Very little different than I did the episodes on the relationships and borderline pathology. I wanted to focus specifically on the anger because a lot of people ask like, what do I do? And our natural reaction, I think, is to just say typical things, calm down, take a deep breath, everything will be okay. And when when they're in that state, they're not they're not processing information accurately. They're not they're not they're not thinking clearly. And I'm not talking psychosis. Although sometimes one of the diagnostic criteria, one symptom of, of borderline pathology is they can have non-psychotic uh, perceptual disturbances. That, that's really at times of incredibly intense emotional dysregulation and, 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 and distress. So I'm really coming at it from the perspective of, of you know, protecting yourself, protecting your mental health, doing the best you can to encourage those, these individuals to get into treatment, but they are also in an incredible amount of pain. It's pain, it's fear, and it's it's it, it's in a, in a working with individuals with with borderline pathology, they invariably invariably will say, and I'm saying once they're kind of in the treatment process, that it's it's exhausting, it's so tiring, it it it's it's like it's like somebody who doesn't know when where the next meal is going to come from. That's that's a scary feeling. You know, where's my next dollar going to come from? That's kind of the, 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 the cognitive mindset of where they're coming from. But that anger, you know, if they're not directing it inwards, you know, for one of the, the three reasons that I mentioned, you know, through cutting, through burning, through headbanging, through any kind of self-injurious behaviors, it's, it, it, it cuts the other way where it, that would be called, what we would call internalizing. The externalization is when it's projected onto the people in relationship with them. And some people get to a point, I think that the, you know, the, I think this, maybe this is in the urban dictionary, but I've heard this term a lot, gaslighting, where people really start to believe that they are the cause and they are not good enough and it's their fault. And I love the person, but I don't know how to love them Um you know, great book. Another one I recommend to stop walking in eggshells is uh, I think it's I love you, don't leave me. So it's another good book. All right, I, I I hate you, don't leave me. I think it's one of those two. So, um, but again, I'm trying to want to give some empowerment to people um, that that you are not responsible. I mean, things may have transpired during development or whatever, and people made mistakes or, you know, there was a divorce and, and, and it was not a, not a good situation. And uh, remember, this has a lot to do with attachment. These are insecure attachments from early childhood where this, this pathology manifests. And just to clarify one question, no, you cannot develop borderline personality disorder in adulthood, 
Um, something I want to correct from last week that Julie reminded me is: can you can you develop bipolar? I, I, I misspoke. Can you can you develop bipolar in later adulthood? Yes. So I want to make that clarification from last week's episode. As you know, I do these off the top of my head, so sometimes I may miss something here or there. So um, anyhow, anything else you want to? Yeah, I'll probably just say one more thing. <clears throat> Circling back to anger and its relation and how it presents in personality disorders, um, I want to say that anger is... Uh, it's almost more like rage. Um, I, I know that working with people who have been raised with people, and I like to think of personality disorders being on a continuum because it can be very lonely for kids growing up and adolescents growing up and even adults growing up with parents who have, you know, characterological styles, personality styles, I call them, because sometimes it can be a little bit of, a little bit of narcissism, a little bit of borderline um, dependent personality too. Um, and then there are some people who are raised by people who are, you know, clearly uh, miss, missing a sensitivity chip. But the difference between just being angry, which is, you know, when you really think about being angry and expressing anger, it's, um, I, I always quote this poem by, or this uh this little phrase by uh, Aristotle, um, anger is, being angry is easy. Anger is easy. But to be angry with the right person at the right time and the right amount in the right place, um, that's sort of the gist of it. That's not as easy. Because everyone's heard that, and I hate the phrase, kick, go home and kick the dog. Um, it's It's displacing anger. So if you're thinking about, like in talking about, borderline or narcissistic uh, personalities, you're looking at not just anger, but you're looking at rage. So and we call it narcissistic rage. We call it borderline rage where people's reaction to things are so disproportionate to the actual thing that's happening. Um, people feel very nervous and scared and alone. Um, and also the people who are expressing this rage are feeling, ironically, it, it comes off as a power play, but it really isn't. It comes from a place of fragility and terror um, and fear of abandonment. Uh, narcissism is a little bit different than that. Um, they're a tad more fragile. Um, and the rage can be, um, you know, there's very little insight into both of these, by the way. Um, so, uh, but the rage is 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 scary it's downright scary so um i want to talk about just wanted to bring that to light a little bit more um you know parents and when you go back generations people had full-on bipolar disorder and they were drinking to medicate it um people didn't know you know and there's unless someone was really really ill in the family um, you know, people really weren't cared for that way. They were shipped off to go to a state hospital. Um, it was like, you know, not in my backyard kind of stuff where I think the stigma started. But, you know, looking at this as a style that someone doesn't have to have full on every single 
diagnostic criteria in the manual to fit narcissism or borderline personality. If you go back and you look at parents of generations back, they had no insight because there was no talk about this stuff. Um, it really, when I, I believe in our culture as, you know, someone my age, which I'm not disclosing on air, of course, but just saying, um, uh, Fatal attraction, that was the quintessential borderline personality movie um, with starring Glenn Close and Michael Douglas. And that was uh, that was full on like what it what it can look like when it's full blown. And, you know, and I think the other point to make clear, too, is that it's not just about rage. It's not about you know, hurting somebody. I don't think anybody really intends to hurt somebody. I think when, like Corey said, when someone's in pain, they don't want to feel pain. And sometimes it can be inflicted or displaced or projected onto others um, to gain some semblance of control, which people do not feel at any control at the core. So it's almost like an insatiable need. That's why people become so drained that's why providers get drained. That's why family members get drained. And people can feel like they're banging their head against the wall because there's no club you can go to to say, hey, here's what I'm going through and compare notes. It's a very isolating feeling to grow up in an environment like that. And also, it still exists. It doesn't just go away. And depending on, you know, we're at a good place in mental health. I feel like we're getting there. People are very vocal now I'm loving this. It's it's um it's quite incredible how people are just talking about this on on social media and there's movies, there's television shows, documentaries that people are talking more about it in a healthy mental wellness kind of way. Um the other movie I wanted to say I think I've mentioned before is Girl Interrupted. And if you kind of look at that era um, that is how, that is where people went when they had mental illness. They went to state hospitals and, um, and it, it's really quite, you know, tragic, but that movie in and of itself shows different person. Angelina Jolie was narcissistic personality, I believe. Uh, Winona Ryder in that movie was diagnosed with borderline personality. Um, you know, all the various diagnoses were in that movie. And it was an excellent portrayal of, um, you know, McLean Hospital and what it was like for young women um, back in the day. Um, anyway, I go on and on. It's just so important to look at this in a context of it's on a continuum. There's there's one, one, two, three, four, five different symptoms. It's really not about putting somebody in a category but if you are being, if you're around somebody like this and they're obviously they're struggling, very often there's very little insight. Um, set the boundaries, but get into treatment yourself. Just start with a therapist. Just start with therapy um, just so that you have some support. Sometimes it's not easy to just bump into somebody, you know, and have like a full-blown conversation about what actually can happen in a relationship like that um, because it's some of the stuff is off the hook and it's not stuff that you want to openly share with people because it feels bizarre because it feels like it's over the top and people don't know how to handle it and what to do about it. Um, 
and 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 people are very often very very invested in these relationships so they don't want to walk away and yes the the this kind of narcissistic and borderline kind of uh personality style can be extremely provocative so you're looking at like um if if they turn on the charm they turn on the sex appeal they know how to seduce that's part of the power um even though they feel powerless that's where they get their power usually it on a continuum um and just kind of to speak to that a little bit is that's why people wait for it because they think it's going to come back and it usually does and it's a dance it's the dance so um i think that it's important stuff to talk about um try to go on psychology today it's a great place to look for a therapist in your area um and just know that um it is a personality style it's nobody's fault um parents are usually doing the best that they can when they when they can um not everybody's a great parent obviously but um you know to try to maintain some peace about that you know you're here for a reason you know if you're a grown up you're trying to deal with some stuff that's also important to think about um but basically just the it there's there's help out there there really is and if you think that there's something going on and you're at a point where you're having a hard time you know definitely reach out to your primary care first if you don't have a therapist maybe they can get you in with somebody that they can refer you to talk to them about how you're feeling again primary care don't have a lot of time to talk about therapeutic issues obviously um that's not what they went to school for but um it's usually a good first line especially now when there's a shortage and also don't hesitate to look into a partial day treatment which is just a day treatment um when you're dealing with people who don't have insight it can feel very um nerve-wracking to kind of go into go into therapy yourself um it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you it just means that you're doing self-care and the stronger you get um is only going to help you in the whole process so anyway i ramble i'm i'm sorry but i wanted to kind of put the context in and then when it, again reiterating when it comes to kids it's very difficult for parents who have children with this um condition because it they get it can get very feel very dangerous and out of control and um a lot of the times the behavior can be highly manipulative and um very scary for a parent and i would reiterate 100% there's no game there's no game whatsoever when someone's saying that they're going to hurt themselves or somebody else you absolutely call 911 or get to an emergency room um with that person uh safely so you don't mess around with any kind of suicidality whatsoever so or or you know any threat to hurt somebody or self injurious behavior Anyway, thank you for listening and thank you for all of your support and kind words. We really appreciate it. We're very grateful to have you guys and um God bless you. Thanks, Julie. Um so uh as I will say like in every episode, 
getting a full neuropsych eval really is able to delineate exactly what the symptom, what the diagnostic picture is, because, you know, Julie mentioned the diagnostic manual and to meet the diagnostic criteria, you have to meet five out of nine of the symptoms, but there's 120 different combinations if we're just talking about borderline. Uh, so I would strongly recommend, um, getting uh your loved one in to see somebody for a neuropsych eval um to really get that that clarification but boundaries are incredibly important self-care is incredibly important and again uh you know like julie brought it up this the seduction and the dance because there it is good like i said when it's good it's it's heaven and when it's bad it's hell on earth and that's why the volatility and just the dysregulation, uh, and I completely agree with Julie, you know, with an individual with this, with borderline personality disorder, not being in treatment, they have really have no insight. Um, so as always, uh, as Julie said, thank you for all of your feedback. Um, hopefully I was able to address uh, several questions. Uh, we can always get into more detail uh, with this. Uh, Feel free to reach out uh, as you guys do. I do my best to get in contact with you. Uh, a lot of times you guys who email me, I'll just uh, shoot you a text or an email back to give me a call. It's really fun. Uh, you can get a hold of me uh, through Psychology Today. Uh, you can email me directly at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. Uh, you can also contact me on my cell phone directly, 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be well, be hopeful. Um, that's, that, that's, that's, again, another huge reason of doing this podcast is um, there is hope. And even in the darkest times, don't ever lose sight of that. All right. Bye, guys. Talk to you next week.